Hi, I'm Amy Rodman. Welcome to Igniting Creativity, a series for virtual teachers, where I walk you through the things I wish I would have known about becoming a teacher business owner and help you creatively thrive. I'm still teaching classes for the majority of my time, but without building my business, I wouldn't be sustaining this kind of career. It's a lot different than having a structured schedule where you report to a building with guidelines and deadlines set by others. My success now completely depends on what I put into it and how I manage my time. Join me on this journey of how I'm making that work so you can implement what speaks to you. Don't forget to download the free workbook to help you make the progress that will aid in your success. This episode has to do with course development. My passion is definitely about the topic of creativity. And just because I'm an art teacher does not mean that this can't translate to every type of teacher out there. You must be creative in what you're offering if you're going to be successful. You don't want your class to look like everybody else's class. So this brings me into something I highly believe in, and that is do not copy somebody else's material. Do not copy what somebody else is already doing. It is morally wrong. It is not okay to start searching for teachers that are successful and selling their courses well and think that you're going to have that same success. Part of what brings you students is you, how you teach, your personality, your teaching style. So that subject matter even if it's exactly the same as somebody else's, will never be taught in the same way. So you do need to keep that in mind. And I highly discourage any type of copying whatsoever. Now I am going to say that your idea that you think is super unique might not be super unique. If you do go and search for something that you have an idea for and you see that somebody else is already teaching it, that's okay, but you must develop it in a way that is very, very personal to you. There is absolutely never an excuse to say, oh, well, somebody else is doing it, it must be working, and then just copy what they're doing. So I'm going to get off my soapbox now and move into how we can be creative with our course development. But just keep in mind that it is never, ever okay to copy somebody else and that's why I'm so passionate about this topic. Creativity is everywhere, in all subjects, in all walks of life, not just in art, because I teach art and I believe that we're creating, you know, an amazing drawing and we're only creative because we can draw, because I get comments like that. So let's get into how I started and what I developed as my first class, and then maybe how you can do something either similar or what you can do to really build classes as you create your course catalog. When I first started, one thing that I had a hard time wrapping my mind around and something that kind of held me back for a while was the fact that as an art teacher, I felt like I never ever sat down. I was rarely at my desk. I was constantly helping students, having to answer individualized questions, be managing supplies, I was always moving. So teaching virtually means you're sitting still in front of a screen 
or standing if you have a standing desk, but you're not moving around a room. You're not able to see exactly what students are doing. You're not able to just observe everything quite in the same way. In fact, most of their screens are positioned so you see their face. Well, when they're working, they're looking down. So you end up looking at the top of everybody's heads. And it's rare for a student to be able to angle their screen so that you're seeing what they're working on. They have to be confident enough and comfortable enough to hold their work up for you to see. So not all classes, of course, work in the same format, but that was one of my sticking points at the beginning. So I had to figure out how not only I would be able to comfortably teach them and know what they're doing throughout the process, but also have all of my supplies within reach. Some teachers don't need a bunch of supplies. Everything is completely digital and you have it on that one computer. You don't need to be able to reach for physical supplies. So that might not be an issue. But when I did start my first class, one of the things I considered was number one, what was one of my absolute favorite projects that I did with classes that both boys and girls found successful and found exciting and had really good results. And I almost always believe process is more of an experience than you know ending up with that product. So process over product. But when somebody's paying for something, they really do expect to see a product if it's, especially if it's just a one-time type of class, you know, one and done. So for this particular lesson, I knew that that would be successful for that type of class. What other things I thought about were what kind of materials would they need for this class? Were they easily accessible? And would they be able to sign up at the last minute and just be able to set themselves up pretty quickly because believe it or not you get a lot of learners within the two minutes of starting class so i chose to do a drawing project it didn't just involve paper and pencil it included a couple other supplies but generally it was it was made of things that you would just have in your house already if you have some sort of really specialized idea that would require very specific supplies, you just have to be very, very clear in your description so that people would be able to sign up and acquire these supplies in plenty of time. So those were my criteria anyway, just starting out what was really accessible and easy for the students. If you don't already have that ideal lesson, Maybe you've always followed other people's curriculums, you know, already written curriculum, and you've never had to develop a class before. Maybe you are somebody who does not have a teaching certificate, but you're really passionate about certain subjects and you know you would be a great teacher, then this strategy that I use would be very helpful. But even if you have been teaching forever, I still think it's really helpful. I stop and do this every so often. I have an idea that sparks and then I just go about this process to think everything through. So what I do is I get a piece of paper and I just start brain dumping, you know, brainstorming a ton of ideas, writing every word that comes to mind so that I can then categorize it and make connections later. It usually looks messy. It's not like a finalized list in any way. 
but my brain dump consists of different categories that fits with what I'm teaching. So me in particular would be the materials I want to use, the subject matter of the artwork, and then what kind of things am I interested in or passionate about so that it's more interesting to teach and it's not something super standard. You know, what can create that more unique experience? When I'm thinking about the materials, you know, I might write down drawing materials, but then I have a whole list of specific drawing materials or paints, what types of paints and all the things that might go along with that. Sculptural materials. Yes, I've taught sculptural classes over the internet. It doesn't just have to happen in person. You know, you can get creative with these supplies. For subject matter, you know, the main genre of art would be landscape, still life, portraiture. So that's very general. There, It's so broad, it needs to be broken down into much smaller chunks. And when I think of portraiture, not only do I think of people and the overall picture of a whole person or the bust of a person shoulders up, but also breaking it down into facial features or hands and you know things that are difficult to draw, but also portraiture of animals because that's been an extremely popular topic. And I'll talk about how I've figured out what topics are the most popular in a minute. The other thing I need to think about is how I can create classes that could happen all year long. It doesn't matter what time of year you offer them or seasonal. So, you know, the landscape, I could do a picture of the exact same landscape in the four seasons. And right there, that's four different ideas. Whenever I think about categories, one of the main categories that I always take into consideration is interests, you know, really specialized interests, more general interests. You know, if I love to read, I love to travel. I really like good food. Those are some really broad interests that a lot of people can relate to. But then think about some of the more quirky or very personal interests that you have. And is that something that you think your students would relate to, whether they're children or adults? Then we're going to be making connections. You know, take whatever categories you've decided on, break those categories down into more specifics, and then get into how you can make connections. That's when the real magic happens. And I want to describe this in a way that explains what really made me realize this. I was talking to another teacher, a teacher who has taught, you know, in a public school for a long time, but then decided to join the OutSchool platform. Her class that she knew was a good class, a good foundational class that she taught in a school was what she decided to offer on OutSchool at first. But the more we talked about different interests and passions that she had, the more ideas she started generating that she knew other students would love. And it was going to still be able to be a class where she taught those foundation, foundational basic skills, but in just such a fun way. So this is where you want to make those connections. How can you fit more than one category together to tailor your class to your interests and passions, to other students' interests and passions? How can you 
take one, one part of each of those lists and combine them. Whenever you are creating these courses, it is so important to niche down or niche down, whatever you want to say, however you pronounce it, because that's all you ever hear people talking about. And that is important, but it's just thinking about how to do that. And then the other thing that I see teachers just speak about a lot, especially on different forums, is, well, how will I get enough students if it's something that's kind of like an odd subject that isn't all that common? Isn't it better to have something that is more for the mass population? If you start offering something that is a little more niche down, you're going to find those loyal students. When you find that student that's really interested in whatever it is that you're interested in, you have more of a connection to make. You are going to click. Your personalities will most likely click. So that's important. When you're teaching, they're looking for a teacher that they find that connection with as well. So you're making connections with the subject matter, but once you figure out the subject matter, you're able to make connections with students. One of the other things that you really should consider is the age range. You can teach any age, children to adults, toddlers, retired ladies, whatever it is that you're teaching, you can probably change that age range a bit and alter your classes so that they are a little more challenging or they fit into a smaller age range that is not just for, you know, say three to six-year-olds. How can you take that same class, make it a little more challenging or build it into something that six to eight-year-olds would like? So really consider the age ranges that these subjects could fit. When I look at what I'm doing, and I show a sample of something I've done with children, and I have adults going, oh my gosh, I love that, I would like to do that too. Well, I'm not going to teach them in exactly the same way, but you better believe that I've taken a class that I've used for eight-year-olds and taught it to adults, and it worked. So think about the age ranges and how you can just alter whatever subject matter you're doing so it fits all these different age ranges. You can create a bunch of single classes and then bundle them together to create a longer course. Whenever you start making these decisions, think about how you're going to just generate new ideas based off of that first one. What can you do to create these longer courses or different formats? And that's going to lead us to the next episode of building a funnel of classes. We'll take you through how to use all of these ideas and put them together into an entire course catalog. And the other thing that I do want you to consider for course development is, will these classes work in different formats? Whether you're teaching live, whether they're all pre-recorded videos, or hybrid, a little bit of both. Because some courses will work better in different methods, you know, teaching them in different methods but some are going to work across all of those. I hope this has given you some ideas. Don't forget that in the workbook, you have a place for you to do that brain dump and to start making those connections. 
And then I'm looking forward to taking what I talked about today and teaching you about how to build a funnel of classes. I know virtual teaching can be lonely. We're sitting behind a screen in our own home with no other coworkers. I left a really good support system of coworkers who I'm still in contact with on a regular basis, but I miss that community of seeing them in person and bouncing ideas off of each other. I guess what I should say is I miss seeing them, but I don't miss leaving my house. I do love my commute now. But what I'm trying to build here is a bit of community. Collaboration over competition every step of the way. There's six episodes in this series and hopefully one or all of the topics resonate with you in some way to help you build your business. Don't forget about the workbook that can be downloaded in the show notes and you can find me at amyrodman.com or at amy.rodman.art on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for listening.